Welcome back to Crescent in the Afternoon. Tom Nash filling in for Al today. Uh, you may have heard the argument that Judas received Holy Communion at the Last Supper, so shouldn't President Joseph Biden also as a Catholic? Well, one can argue theologically, uh, Scripture's not explicitly clear whether he did or he did not, but we will say for the sake of argument that he did. And joining us now is Dr. David Bonagura to discuss this matter. He teaches at St. Joseph Seminary in Dunwoody, New York, author of Steadfast in Faith, Catholicism, and the Challenges of Secularism, and Staying with the Church, the Catholic Church, his second book, Staying with the Catholic Church, Trusting God's Plan of Salvation. David, welcome to the program. Hello, Tom. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here. How would you respond to people who say, hey, let's let's just uh, presume that, G- that Judas did receive communion. How is that a, a good argument for Joe Biden to receive communion? Does this mean that somehow he's contradicting, for example? I, I was talking to someone today about this, and I said, well, you can't put Jesus and pit him against St. Paul, because St. Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20 to 7 to 30, uh, he makes clear that you should not eat it in an unworthy manner lest you eat and drink a judgment upon yourself. How about you when you discuss this with your students or, or otherwise in the media? Well, I think St. Paul had it exactly right. And maybe if maybe St. Paul was even thinking of Judas mm. as he wrote those words. What people don't realize is they, I think they try to take our contemporary situation and then face you know, flash back to 2,000 years ago and think it's exactly the same. Mm. If someone receives communion in the state of sin, he's, as St. Paul says, he's taking condemnation on himself. Yes. But in Judas's case, Judas had already done so. Mm. You know, he already had betrayed the Lord, and Matthew's Gospel tells us he arranged for the betrayal before and was paid beforehand, and then actually did the deed after the Last Supper. So his soul was already dead. The Eucharist, I would argue, in, that, in him receiving the Eucharist, is, like all sacraments, an external sign of the inner reality. And Jesus allows Judas to take communion, not as a gotcha moment, Mm. but to show us what is already the case, that Judas is dead interiorly because he's betrayed the Son of Man in his heart, and his falsely receiving the Eucharist shows us what exactly he has just done indeed. Kind of confirming externally what has already taken place internally, huh? Correct. Would you think also, because some people would say that Jesus, okay, he's omniscient, he's God, and yet that doesn't, of course, preclude our having a free will, because God being omniscient can still allow us to have free choices. Uh, And in this case also, one could argue, could you think that perhaps Judas, here's an opportunity, though he is turned away, he could say, uh, I am not worthy, Lord, right? Like St. Peter said at, at different points, you know, get away from me, I'm a sinful man after the resurrection. Um, the point being that he had an opportunity to not receive it and or say something, assuming he did receive it, and to repent on the spot, and he chose not to. You could say he's already confirmed it, but he still could have, at that point, had an opportunity to turn away. What do you think? It's never too late. The next day, the, the good thief showed us that it's never too late for us, or at least as we still breathe, it's not too late for us to repent, and Judas decided to take his own final breath away. Mm. So he refused his own repentance. So the sign of him taking the Eucharist, again, it just showed that his soul was dead, and he could have turned back. St. Peter turned back. So Peter wept over his sins yes. and asked for forgiveness. Judas wept, but he didn't, not over his sins, not over not seeking forgiveness, but he sought despair. He realized what he had done. And in that uh, column that I wrote for the Catholic thing on this sure. topic, there's a, 
I think it's a sad irony in the fact that Judas, at the end of his life, or even you know, when he turned over to Jesus, he said, I'm in, I've betrayed innocent blood. Mm. And here we have a president who's been fostering abortion for years and trying to make it happen, enabling it as a senator and now as a president. And there's no recognition by him at all that he is betraying innocent blood. So sadly, Judas has a step up on Biden, which is really hard. to you know, That's tough to say. Yeah. At least Judas realized what he had done. Biden is blithely continuing to say that, oh, it's a woman's right to choose, ignoring the reality that is right in front of him, that it's innocent blood that's being shed on a regular basis, thanks to the laws that he's permitting. Yes, he, and that's why um, so the votes he gets are from Planned Parent. Otherwise, they know that he is uh, more committed to certain political ideals than he is to uh, Catholic teaching. Of course, one need not make a religious argument to make a, a human biological argument on behalf of the unborn. Well, he, he and his campaign have received a lot more than 30 pieces of silver from Planned Parenthood, mm. that's for sure. Yeah, and you know, people will say, well, hey, well, we don't know. Judas, Judas says it repented, right, when he threw the, the silver pieces back in the temple. And yet, as you, as you pointed out well, doctor, that he took his life. So at the very least, even though the church doesn't pronounce definitively, it's not looking good for him. And and for anyone to invoke Judas as your role model, I'm thinking you might want to think about that because look what happened <laughs> exactly. or apparently happened. And he clearly betrayed the Lord. And um, yeah, this is, a, this is an issue. What would you say, if I may ask you, about coming up with the Bishops' Conference next, next week? Our, you know, the Holy Father, there's the whole issue in President Biden. I think this is fair game because President Biden made it very publicly, if you'd like to comment on this, David, that with regard to, he said, the the Pope said that I could, you know, I'm a good Catholic and continue to receive communion. The Vatican has responded by saying, well, this is a private conversation. We're not going to comment on it. And it's like, well, as long as it's not under the seal of the confessional, of course, the Pope can comment about abortion in general, irrespective of that, but clearly it wasn't under the confessional. Um, but the point is, is that why not comment it precisely because there's an issue of scandal? It's not just Judas's soul or President Biden's soul. It's also the uh, the people who are following and thinking, well, you know, I can receive communion. It doesn't matter what kind of a life I'm living. What would your thoughts be to, to the Holy Father in either commenting on this or in directing the U.S. bishops maybe next week? Well, what the Holy Father has been unbelievably strong in condemning abortion on a number of occasions, including most recently calling it homicide. Yeah, and hiring a hitman. He's, no, he's exactly hiring a hitman. He's not an apologist for abortion at all whatsoever. And then at the same time, in the same conversation, he was answering a question on a press briefing on an airplane coming back from a papal trip. Mm. He said the, a, a pastor's job is is not to, almost as if he said, it's not to correct anybody. It's mm. a company to be next to somebody. But, you know, Jesus, of course, is the good shepherd, and he wasn't, he wasn't shy about correcting anyone. No, including St. Peter. To, when yeah, he, to he, correct is is not to condemn. No, and if we don't correct, then we're going to worry about. I have to worry about Catholics condemning themselves by all sorts of different ways, through support of abortion or through receiving the Eucharist in an unworthy manner. These are things that pastors need to be concerned about. So that's what I would say to our Holy Father and to our bishops as well. That the role of the pastor is not always, it's not to just make somebody feel good or affirm him in his sin. It's to offer correction when correction is warranted. And again, correction is not condemnation. It seems like we confuse the two in our society these days. Correction is necessary. We have, it, I'm a teacher. If a student gives a wrong answer, 
he needs to be corrected because yes. he needs to have the truth. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just part of life and part of learning. Part of life, part of love, because if someone continues in the wrong direction and you do not say anything, how can that be construed as loving? Because you're seeing them going down the primrose path to uh, destruction, so to speak, and you're not warning them that, you know, whether it's excommunication or putting someone simply under interdict where they cannot receive communion, um, more penalties are associated with excommunication. But those are remedial. They're medicinal, which means, you know, as you were saying, trying to correct, trying to help someone out because you care enough, as opposed to saying, uh, you do your thing, I'll do my thing, and uh, I'm not really concerned. If you know the truth, right, truth and love need to go together, that you share the truth so that someone might turn away and embrace it and, and, and go away from error and, and recognize sin if they've committed it and go forward renewed in the Lord. And it seems that we don't see that with sometimes in the politicians. No, and uh, it's funny, with, we always hear the response to you know, not condemning the, the bishops and to not say, or not forgetting the politicians and not taking a stronger stance here, is, well, we, we need to dialogue, we need to teach. I think it's ironic that Jesus said to Judas, he didn't, let's sit down and have a conversation. He said, what you are going to do, do quickly. Mm. <laughs> Jesus didn't mess around, right? And what did he call Judas? He called him the son of perdition. Yeah. He said it would have been better for him not to have been born. Yeah, Those that's... are some of the scariest words ever uttered. Yeah, I've thought... recorded in Holy Scripture. I, I agree. If Jesus can say that, then I think our pastors can too. Yes, and I sometimes have thought, well, he didn't say never existed because we know that existence and creation is good, but if, if I was going to betray Jesus, I'd rather be miscarried in the womb, uh, put it that way, than to, to, to be born and to do that kind of a thing. In any event, um, you know, we had a recent case with uh, Bishop Propraki with Senator Dick Durbin in the state of Illinois, U.S. Senator, professed Catholic. He was complaining about how he goes to a parish, even though he's from um, the Springfield uh, Diocese area, which is where Bishop Propraki is, who's himself originally from the Chicago Archdiocese, but talking about how he goes to communion at a Chicago parish. And I say, God bless Bishop Propraki for loving uh, Senator Durbin enough to say something. Uh, and, and also to reminding other people, again, this isn't Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian. These are souls. These aren't about four, six-year terms or whatever. These are about eternal salvation for the people who are who are misleading themselves and others, as well as the, trying to send a signal, what do you think, to the people who are their constituents, both locally and, and just uh, nationwide? Oh, I agree. It's one way to look at this, and not one that's often commented upon. Mm. Certainly, on the one hand, we're worried about the soul of the individual politician. That's the primary reason for issuing an excommunication in this particular instance. But there's another side to this, that it's, what about the Catholic faithful who see, do this, does abortion or the other teachings that we profess, particularly the moral teaching, do they really mean anything? Are we, are we going to back them up, we, the, the bishops of the Church, are we going to back these teachings up when they are flouted openly mm. in public for all to see, or do, they, or do they just not matter? Is that the message that we're getting unwittingly from the Church when the Church decides, uh, I think it's better just to keep quiet here rather than to raise some sort of a controversy? Yeah, I think of what, you know, the same Jesus who gave Peter and the apostles, and Peter in particular, the keys of the kingdom, you know, the whole binding and loosing. And St. Paul, we see early in the church, 1 Corinthians 11 again, where part of that binding and loosing is do not receive communion in a state of grave sin. This whole binding and loosing is to, again, like a shepherd, you're trying to lead the sheep back. 
you're trying to help them from going astray, and you're also trying to give an example for other people that there's some you know eternal consequences at stake. Any final words in that regard? Exactly. I mean, we're dealing with life and death issues here. We're dealing with the life and death of children in the womb, first and foremost. And then on a secondary level, we're, but not of secondary importance, we're dealing with the salvation of souls, eternal life and eternal death. And to, you know, to worry about political backlash or what the public media is going to say because the bishops do have to do their duty in giving, delivering a hard teaching, that's, the public backlash should be the least of our concerns. Salvation of souls, supreme law, and we have to make sure we put that first. David, thanks so much for being with us. He's David Bonagura, teaches at St. Joseph Seminary in New York, author of Steadfast in Faith, Catholicism, and the Challenge of Secularism. You can follow him at thecatholicthing.org.